Good morning. Hey, what a great day. Pentecost. Uh, I see some of you are wearing red. Some of you did that maybe on purpose. Like Everett, I saw him. It was accident, but it was good luck. So way to go, Everett. You know, it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, This day, though, uh, as a day of celebration, uh, and we have cake, and really, just make yourself uh, available to it and go over there. And, you know, one of the things that I think that uh, we we see in the Bible, in th- certainly in the Old Testament, is that uh, the Old Testament and uh, Judaism is full of parties. Did you know that? <clears throat> full of celebrations. Festival of Pentecost, or uh, weeks, which we're going to talk about today. The Purim, uh, Passover, uh, 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 all the different celebrations, the ingathering of the harvest. Uh, there was a sense in which that God's people celebrated. And uh, in the church calendar... Uh, if we abide by it and look at it, that there are opportunities for us, again, to remember, to celebrate, to recall uh, some of the huge, if you will, uh, movements of God in the life of His people. And so today we're going to look at one of these conversations with Jesus. Now, I'm going to just do a disclaimer here for a second. I'm not going to have a time to go through all of this, what Jesus said. I'm going to do some other working around. But if you would really like to find a section there about where uh, Jesus uh, really refers to the Holy Spirit in some rather lengthy places, you should go to John 14, 15, 16, and 17. The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John 14, 15, 16, and 17. That is the most extensive, the most extant, if you will, section of Scripture that Jesus ever discussed uh, or talked about or referred to uh, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, you may you may want to look at that. That's a great section there. I, I've got a little bit from that area and some others, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, it's long been my view, though, that and it's because of some of the people I read and some of the things that I see that often that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. And we don't discuss His ministry. We'll, we'll look at that. For instance, uh, on the back of your uh, page, there's a list of books that I've uh, given to you. They should all be read in the next seven weeks. And uh, I, will, I will tell you this, that number one is the easiest and number seven is the hardest. Uh, number, uh, number six by Dr. Oden, Thomas Oden, is about 450 pages. And number seven by Gordon Fee is about 900 pages. Uh, so I, you know, I'll let you go anywhere you want to on that. Uh, but when you read uh, in the area of st- uh, biblical studies and other matters like that, and some of you may be familiar with this book, uh, the first one uh, I think I gave was Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Forgotten God. Francis is a pastor out in California, and he's written this book uh, called Forgotten God, uh, Making Sense of Our Neglect. It basically is the title of the Holy Spirit. Making Sense of Our Neglect. I don't know if you remember it or not, but in the last century, boy, don't that make you feel old? <laughs> you know, we're in this new century. and uh, In the last century, Pope John Paul uh, called for a renewed study of the Holy Spirit in the last decade of the 20th century. Uh, there's a great Latin... You know, I, I went to seminary and studied Greek and Hebrew and English. Uh, and uh, my Latin is pretty bad, so I'm not even going to try. It's dominum something or other. <clears throat> uh, but the idea of a renewed emphasis upon uh, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So both Roman Catholic tradition and even Protestant independent tradition have recognized this over the years, uh, that there is this lack, if you will, of uh, discussion and importance given, if you will, to the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Part of that is because some of us are afraid. Uh, We've seen excesses, and uh, I understand that. 
Uh, we've also seen places where the Spirit is not spoken of, and John Wesley often said that wherever that happens, the church dies. Uh, and so I've often said, uh, I, I think I can deal with excess better than I can death. You know, when people are dead, there's not much you can do with them. Uh, if people are in excess, you can kind of, you know, rein them in a little bit, hopefully, and help. So, so we, we need to be alert to this, that I think that there's this matter about the Spirit that we need to be open to and aware of or, as I've said before, I think the only option we have left is uh, in the Christian life is uh, try harder. You know, go ahead and do that. So I want to look at Pentecost here today on a couple of different levels. Number one, what is Pentecost? <clears throat> Number one, on here on your outline, it's a day. Oh, boy, you got it just for that, didn't you? <laughs> wow, it's a day. <clears throat> well, it's an important day. Uh, really, uh, Pentecost is a commemoration we commemorate what is in Judaism called the, the Festival of Weeks or the, 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 the celebration of the weeks that 50 days or seven weeks after Passover, seven weeks after Passover, uh, Jews would come to Jerusalem and they would make a wave offering to God for bringing in the harvest. Now, it's a funny thing happened this morning. <clears throat> uh, and so uh, this would be something they would do every year. They would come in and they would give thanks to God uh, for the uh, harvest that had come in. I'm getting ready this morning and shaving and Becky's beside me and she said, uh, <clears throat> I, I got this song in my head. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, it's, a, it's this, uh, I, you know. She, she thinks that Jesus talks to her in the shower. So, <laughs> so I, I guess he does. <clears throat> uh, she said, <clears throat> this song, and, and I'm just going to tell you, I, it was fascinating. She said, this song, Cliff, is, and she was humming it by the sink. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessings and da 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 da. And she said, that's a Thanksgiving song. I don't know what I'm saying. I said, Becky, that's exactly what happened on Pentecost. The people came together to give thanks for the harvest. I believe the Holy Spirit dropped that in her heart. And she's singing it at the sink while I'm saying, move over, would you a little bit, you know? <clears throat> Golly. Uh, uh, and, and she's saying, I don't know why I'm singing this. I don't know why. This is in my spirit heart. And of course, Becky's lots more open to the Spirit of God. She's much more tender. And I said, Becky, I think the Lord has just put that in you. That it is a Thanksgiving. That Pentecost is a Thanksgiving day. To give thanks to God for the harvest. Now, isn't that interesting? That what we see on the day of Pentecost as well as that matter is that there is a harvest on this day, not of crops, but of 3,000 souls. On the day of Pentecost, there was an in-gathering. There was a harvest of people that when they heard what was happening in Acts 2, when, the, uh, when Peter was preaching, there was a harvest and in-gathering of praise to God on that day. I think that's fascinating. That on that day, the same thing happened now, not only in thanking God for the harvest of grain, but a harvest, if you will, of, uh, of people. I don't know if you know this or not. Another thing about the day of Pentecost... The day of Pentecost, uh, the rabbis taught, and through <clears throat> rabbinical teaching, that it was 50 days again after Passover, after the Paschal Lamb, after <clears throat> the death of the, the, the Lamb, when they left Egypt, that on that day, the 50th day, on the Festival of the Weeks, there was always the, it was also the commemoration of the giving of the law from Sinai. Same day. This day was the day that they not only thanked God for the incoming harvest, but they praised and thanked God for the giving of the law. That now <clears throat> they were the people of God. If you only think about Old Testament, what made the children of Israel 
the people of God was their acceptance of the law. They believed that God had given it, offered it to the Gentiles and they rejected it. And the Jews received it. <clears throat> Isn't it fascinating that on the day <clears throat> that they celebrate the giving of the law, that what made and constituted the nation of Israel to be the people of God, now what constitutes and makes the people of God what? The presence of the Spirit. It's what makes us now the people of God is the Spirit of God. And we, now you've got to be careful here, <clears throat> this is where it's dialectical. Y'all have heard that term before, haven't you? Once or twice. <clears throat> it's dialectical. <clears throat> we are no longer led by outward law, but by inward spirit. See, the law is out here. Read it, look at it. But now the people of God are led and guided by an inner or inward presence. The presence of the Spirit of God. Now those aren't necessarily a contradiction, but it's fascinating. So it commemorates the ingathering of the harvest, great symbolism here, bringing of people. It also commemorates the giving of the law. What a day. What a day. Can you imagine on that day as you celebrate this as a follower of Jesus now to begin to see the news? So now what constitutes the people of God is not law. What constitutes or what makes us the people of God now is not all the details and matters of that. What constitutes it is that we share together in life in the Spirit. You know, I told you a few weeks ago that you know now when I talk to people, I'm getting old, real old, and people remind me of that. And uh, I, 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 you know, I know that there are things we have to believe. The Bible tells whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son. I've come that you might have life. But my question to people nowadays isn't so much what do you believe, although I think that's important. But i got to get past that to say, is there anybody in there but you? Is there anybody in there but you? I mean, this idea of the Spirit is what constitutes us being the people, or we being the people of God. Is there anybody in there but us? <laughs> Is there anybody in us but our own determination, our own will? That question 30 years ago wrecked me in seminary. Wrecked me because I thought, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, this is how important this is, folks. This is how critical this is. And I think because we fail to remember it and fail to talk about it, that we sort of settle now, which it's good to believe. It's important to have right beliefs and correct beliefs, but it's got to be more than that. Those beliefs have got to connect us with the presence of God where it's more than just me trying harder. That hasn't worked out very well for you, has it? Hasn't worked out for me. Trying harder wasn't that good for me. And it's the idea that this presence of God... Okay, that's, that's it. Here's an... <clears throat> okay. This apple... <clears throat> Here we go. Just talk among yourselves. <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> I, I don't know. Maybe it'll work. Here we go. <clears throat> Maybe it won't. <clears throat> Daryl? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Second one. It's another one. Here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a professional. I have this ready to go. B. <clears throat> Can you see? Oh, B on your outline. It's a fulfill... This day, what is Pentecost? It's a day, and it's a fulfilled promise. A fulfilled promise. I've talked to you at some length about this, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But in the Old Testament, 
Uh, Jesus, well, let, let's look here just for a moment. Open your Bibles, if you will, to your table of contents and find the book of Acts. <clears throat> book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Jesus is uh, making a comment to his disciples. Uh, chapter 1, thank you. For, <clears throat> the book of Acts, chapter 1. And <clears throat> in the first chapter of Acts, there is uh, <clears throat> this uh, discussion about Jesus and the last 40 days or so of his earthly ministry there. And uh, verse 3, To these he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking things concerning the kingdom of God or the rule of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, You've heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this really is, this day, a promise, if you will, fulfilled. Or a promise kept, if you want to. Now I've said this before, I just want to really say it quickly. It's my judgment, again, that if you look at the scope of God's work, that if you look at the scope of God's work, you have the birth of Jesus. You have the life of Jesus. You have the death and resurrection of Jesus that all works toward the goal which we're going to call the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit. All of this works in this direction. It's fascinating to me because I think again we've placed great emphasis upon Christmas. That's important. We've placed a lot of emphasis upon Easter. That's great. What we don't tend to do is put much emphasis upon Pentecost. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus said to His own disciples, it's not over yet. I need you to wait for what the Father promised. Now, what did the Father promise? You can write this down in your notes somewhere. We'll see about that. But in Ezekiel 36, 26. In Ezekiel 36, 26, every good Jewish believer, Orthodox believer, would know this promise when God makes the promise to Ezekiel, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to have a new agreement, new covenant. I'm going to, I'm going to write a new covenant a new for, for these people. He says, and this is the way the new covenant will be. I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to give you of my spirit. If you want to look there, you look there. But, but, the, but the promise is, I'm going to give you a new heart, one that will follow me, and I'm going to give you a new spirit. It always... Uh, confuses me a bit when I hear people say, as followers of Jesus, and you know, I, I understand we all face temptation, we all struggle, but they say, well, you know, my heart's just wicked, and I think, no, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new heart. You have a new one. Not a, just a refabbed, but a new heart. I mean, this is, we're talking about some fundamental changes here that he's saying that when I, this new covenant occurs, you're going to get a new heart, and you're going to get my spirit and it says there in that passage, and it, this uh, new spirit will cause you to walk in my statutes. It will cause you, having this new heart and this new spirit, will cause you to walk in my ways. Now, you know, again, I'm going to do a little interpretation here and a little like that. I want to say to all of us, I say this to myself, and I talk to myself occasionally. There are about four guys that live up here. And when I'm out of school, there's like six. Uh, yeah, so it's fixed, huh? I know. Bringing the PC back, ladies and gentlemen. 
uh, <clears throat> that sometimes what we end up doing when we fail or sin or fall is I think we tend to look at what I did. I think we need to ask, why did I want to do that? It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Why do I want to do that? That's temptation, all kinds of answers. But I think when we start working at behavioral modification, all we're doing is dealing with out of here. And beginning to say, now God, you promised me a new heart. And you promised me a new spirit. Quit worrying so much about what happened out here and ask ourselves, why is it that I want to do that? What is it about my heart that's getting disturbed? What is it about my affections that are getting drawn off? What is it about my interest that seem to be moving in a wrong direction? It comes back, I think, always to this new heart. He said, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. The cause for living for Jesus nowadays is not some external, if you will, rule or regulation. Not some external list of guidelines and ideas, but an inner impulsion, an an inner life that begins to say, walk in this way, follow me in that way. To me, this is something we need to talk about. This is something we need to consider that this idea about somebody being in here is a little more radical then sometimes I've thought, I, I, it's not just a belief system. Ralph? My question is always, when did we receive the Spirit? Did it have to come from within Number three. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Number three. Gotcha. Thank you, Ralph. But that's an important question. <clears throat> it's an important question. And I'm going to try to answer that. If not, I'll dazzle you with footwork here in a couple of minutes, and <laughs> you'll, you won't know what I did. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> listen, you know, I, I understand... The scriptures in its whole analogy of faith thing. We're in a struggle. We have battles like that. But I want to just try to lift this up today to say I I don't want to oversell to make us think, you know, we're just going to walk through life and just blast everything out of our way. But I don't want to undersell to where this is just some idea I live by and some concept. But that there really is a promise that God made. I'm going to give you a new heart. And and, and I'm going to give you my spirit to live within you, to be present. Now, you know, there are lots of writers you can read about this, a lot lot of matters. But but part of this, I think, is bringing it to our awareness. And I'm going to look at a couple things, Raph, what you said about this. So let's look at number two. Number two, not on the screen, but on your handout. How about that? See that there, number two? Okay. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in one's life? What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in one's life. I, I'm going to give you my opinion here on this again. I've got four. You can see them, A, B, C, and D. We're going to work through those pretty quick. Uh, it's, it's, I'm going to try to, as best I can, to take uh, what the New Testament and the Old Testament, to some extent, indicates what you can expect in terms of the ministry of the Spirit. I've tried to distill it down to four. You think, well, how can, well I'm, just going to, I'm going to try to distill it. There are four, and I think there are four main matters, if you will. Now, what's interesting to me is this, and you'll see this as I get through it. There are four main points of emphasis throughout Scripture about the ministry of the Spirit. And my observation is this, that our inability to manage these in some kind of holistic way, and the word manage is a terrible word to you. We don't manage the Holy Spirit, but I mean, our inability to to allow these different 
dimensions of the spiritual work, what we've done is we've created entire denominations around one of them. I'll give you a quick example. One of the things is obviously that the Holy Spirit gives us power to witness. And you know there are churches that the only time they ever talk about the Holy Spirit is witnessing. That's it. And I understand it's part of it. You bet. There's another stream we'll look at here in a minute that the Holy Spirit is for power, spiritual gifts, manifestations. We built whole churches around that. Now, there's lots of manifestations. Nobody ever gets led to Jesus. <laughs> right? Or there, everybody gets led to Jesus, <clears throat> but nobody ever figures out, what's my spiritual gift? How do I operate? How do I live? We built whole churches around that. Third one, the idea of holiness. That the Holy Spirit's for that. And I'm gonna, we're going to come back through and look at these. So we built whole churches around that. I went to a church that we were so holy, we never led anybody to Jesus. <laughs> And we didn't know anything about spiritual gifts at all. We just had to live right. And the final one, I'll give you, the final one is what I call presence. The presence of the Holy Spirit, which tends to be the contemplative, mystical kinds of denominations. Now, let's look at that. So number one, A, proclamation. You know, the Bible's pretty clear that in Acts 1, Jesus said, when you receive the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power and you'll be witnesses unto me, unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's no question about it. There's no question that the ministry of the Spirit is to give us power for proclamation, to enable us to communicate the message of Jesus to other people. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's an evangelist. Doesn't, you know, we'll get to spiritual gifts in a minute, but in Acts 1.8, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power and you'll be witnesses of me. You know, I, that's an interesting word. Witness, martyreo. And we get the word martyr from. Not many of us want to be that. <laughs> uh, but, but the idea is not necessarily that I have a... And I, I'm not trying to be... Un- I don't have a canned approach. Like I go point one, point two, point three. See, being a witness is you just tell somebody what Jesus did for you. you. You don't have to take them through systematic theology. You don't have to necessarily bring them to a point of decision. What's he done for you? You know, I heard Billy Graham say one time, the reason sometimes none of us witness very often is we don't have anything to talk about. We, what has Jesus done for you lately? Has He got you through a problem? Has He helped you with a trouble? Has He, has he helped you to, to understand some way to go? And God, I, was, I was at Dillard's last night. Becky was uh, shopping around and, and I was standing there. And I don't, I don't mean, to, listen, I shop lots more than she does. But just I've ever looked at everything at Dillard's in the last four weeks. They don't have anything I haven't looked at already. So I'm standing there, okay? And I've got two choices. I can either just stand there and get upset because Becky's taking time or I can mess around my phone. So I'm messing around with my phone. <clears throat> and this guy comes up to me and he wants to sell me some stuff. And it's just me. There was nobody at Dillard's last night at 6 or 6.30. Nobody. And, you know, he walks up to me and starts talking to me about cologne. And I said, look, dude, I can only wear one kind. I got terrible allergies. It's the only kind I can wear, polo blue, so pff, leave me alone. You know. But as he's standing there, I'm thinking, hmm, what would be better than messing around with my phone? I don't know. I'd be talking about Jesus. That might be better. Who knows? 
Now, in the past, uh, because I had this idea of witness, I had to say, you know, if you were to die tonight, <laughs> which is a great segue from Polo Blue, <clears throat> I could have said, you know, <coughs> I'm joking. <laughs> they gave me something to smell. I started sneezing. In, in the past, I would have felt this compulsion that I've got to get this guy to a decision. That's not what a witness is. I'm just kind of standing there, and I'm just letting, it, letting things happen. And if the opportunity comes up to talk about something like, you know, my allergies are bad and, and all, you know, it, it's just talking about what Jesus has done for you. I, listen. When you do that, God gives power to that. It's, I wasn't sitting there thinking, I've got to be profound. you know, Because I've really got to be profound here. Because I've just got a few minutes. I can see Becky coming from the shoe department. I've got about 29 seconds to lead him to Jesus. You know? I didn't. But, but, but the idea, the idea of being a witness is saying, this is what Jesus has done. Surely we got something to talk about, don't we? Don't we have something we could say? He's gotten me through a difficult time. He's given me guidance. He's been present at a time when I was feeling alone. He's given me purpose or guidance or something. Being a witness isn't standing up and going through some four-point plan. If you get a chance, that's fine. Being a witness, proclamation. That's true. Jesus said, when you receive the Spirit, He's going to, give you power, Acts 1.8. But I want to I also lead you. Are you still there in John or Acts? If you're in Acts, go back to John just for a second. Just go left in Acts. In 17. <clears throat> in 17. This, this chat passage has always really uh, been important. This is what Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit in proclamation. Uh, in, 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 in John chapter 16... Am I on the right chapter, Cliff? 13. Okay, just, yep. I'm in the right place. Nope. I'm in the wrong chapter. I wrote it down wrong. Here we go. In, in John, I'll find it. it. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. I'll find it in a second. He said, when he comes, he will not speak of himself, but he will glorify me. Listen to that now. When he comes, he will not speak of himself, but he will glorify me. Thank, I have it 1713. Thank you. Here we go. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose what is to come. He's going to speak about Jesus. So I'm just going to suggest that when you're witnessing or when you're talking to others in this regard, you're going to talk about Jesus. Not yourself, not what you've done, not what your church has done, not what your denomination has done, but what Jesus has done. What's He done in our life? And so that's the area that we can anticipate that when the Spirit is with us, that He will give us power to just talk about what He's done. B, let's move on. Second one, this is the other one. that and, and, and whole churches have been built around this. That the only important thing in the church is evangelism. I hear churches talk about that. What's the purpose of the church? To win the lost. Really? Is that it? And then what do you do with them after that? You know? For, I don't think that's it. 
Second one, <clears throat> second one, B is power. The, power the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is power. Power. Now, <clears throat> we see this in throughout the Scriptures, <clears throat> if you will, particularly as it relates to being empowered to serve. Uh, I would refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul refers that by the same Spirit, spiritual gifts are given to everyone as it pleases God. Pleases God. Spiritual gifts are power gifts to serve and to live out our lives in the world in ministry. Now, there's a whole list of them. Well, I don't have time for that. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning of verse 4. There's a whole list of them of gifts and abilities. And, you know, there are whole churches that decide the, the, the specific or the, the unique characteristic of ministry of the Spirit is spiritual gifts. And so you go to churches and there may be somebody prophesying or maybe somebody praying for the sick. You know, all kinds of operational things. In most evangelical churches like ours, the one gift that's often operated in is teaching or preaching. And that's about it. Now, I think the spiritual gifts can operate at other times. Out in the hall, in here, even where you're just by a person, you just start praying for them. Something in that area. But we have to understand that God has given these matters or these gifts to empower us for living, to serve. I'll tell you this my, my, my view, this is my opinion. You will never experience the joy of your life until you find out the spiritual gift that God has given you to use for His kingdom. You'll never experience the joy of life until you find it, understand it, and use it. Becky said to me one time, and I'm a pretty live wire person all the time, but she said to me, you are never more alive than when you're teaching. And I don't need a crowd, I've told you. you know, I, I, I sat down before at a table with one person and started coaching them up. You know, I don't need a crowd to teach. But in finding how God has empowered us to use those gifts to serve and to care for one another and to minister to one another. Now, you know what? That gets a little unruly at times, doesn't it? We like, we, it's like school, I think. Isn't school a wonderful thing? I think most of the kids that have ADHD have a problem with sitting in a row listening to one person talk. That's what I think the problem is. There are a lot of people just saying, this doesn't work. Sit in a row, be quiet, shut up. Is that the way the church is supposed to be all the time? See, that's what frightens us, isn't it? That people might use a gift or to say. Now listen, I, I'm not just talking about a free-for-all, but I'm telling you, I know people that when I need prayer, because they, that when they pray, God does something. I know people have the gift of healing. When I need something, I go to them and they pray for me. When I was a pastor, there was a person in our church that carried that gift. And I would say to people when they'd ask me, I'll pray for it because I'm getting paid, but you need this person to pray for you. Not me. I mean, I'll pray for you. I will, but that's not where my gifts are. That's a little unnerving, isn't it? See, sometimes we don't experience the presence of the Spirit because we, one, don't want that thing happening, or two, we don't know what our gifts are. Can I tell you how to find your gifts real quick? Just quickly, here it is. Here's how you find your gifts, I think. Number one, Identify a hurt. Identify a hurt that God got you through successfully. Identify a hurt that God got you through successfully. That's one way. Number two, <clears throat> fill in the blank like this. <clears throat> now, this can get 
selfish if you're not careful. Fill in the blank. If I could do anything for God, I would fill it in. If I could do anything for God, I would. Now, it can be said, you know, I'd like to be the greatest teacher in the you know, history of humanity. That's selfish. But when you say, I'd, I'd like to do something. Third, there are spiritual gift tests that you can take. They're not all reliable. I'm not talking about one of these carrying the day. I'm saying when these four begin to coalesce, I've got another one here a second. There are spiritual gift tests you can take online. Spiritual gift test. <clears throat> Take online. Find out what, what's your spiritual gift. And fit, uh, fourth, ask people. This is fascinating. Ask people, what do they see in you? You know, <clears throat> I had a person identify the gift of teaching in me before I ever knew it. Somebody told me that. I thought, you're out of your mind. I thought I was an evangelist. That's what I thought I was because I, I can talk. <laughs> Somebody said to me, you have the gift of teaching. I said, you're out of your mind. I graduated. I'll reveal her, but I graduated 208 out of 288 in high school. <laughs> I was a genius. <laughs> yeah, 208 out of 288. I majored in sports and girls. I mean, I, I, I didn't know a preposition from a proposition, or I don't know, you know. <clears throat> nothing. <clears throat> yeah. The idea that I would be, I mean, I'm sure that it, when people, my teachers found out what they dropped dead. Somebody said to me one day, I think you have the gift of teaching. I said, you're crazy. They said, no, I think you do. See, and then finally, I think one of the ways you identify your spiritual gift is where have you been effective? Where have you been effective? I don't think spiritual gifts are things you do that you just do to keep grinding away. Where have you been effective? when you've served or when you've worked or when you've been involved, where have you been effective? That's going to be important. Okay, we've got to move on. C, this this third dimension of the ministry is purity. Purity. No question that the New Testament teaches that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's found in Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22. And uh, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, this says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of life and the spirit of life has set me free from the law of spirit and death, that we might fulfill the requirements of the law. Did you notice that? Living by the Spirit, we fulfill the requirements of the law. And so there is this dimension of the Spirit's life of purity. And, and holiness, we might call it. We, we built whole churches, you know. When I talk about our, our, our tradition is Wesleyan holiness. That our churches in America and in the church of God around the world, I'll just tell you that there have been a great emphasis upon right living and holy, very little emphasis on evangelism. Very little emphasis on spiritual giftings other than preaching and teaching. But it's there. It's pre- I mean, you, can't, you can't lose it. You can't, you can't say, well, that, that, that doesn't matter. Because it does. It's this matter of holiness and holiness. And I'm not talking about, you know, some stuffed up, uptight weirdo. I'm talking about a person whose heart is purified. The scriptures talk about this in Acts, whose heart is clean to God. And we don't talk about that anymore, do we? Purity. 
that somehow the Holy Spirit, not by trying, not by disciplining myself, not by working hard at it, but by the power of the Spirit to enable us to live a life that's pleasing to God. And we got to hear that. Because in America today, there's no distinguishable difference between people who claim to be followers of Jesus and those who don't. We're destroying our witness. This comes back, I think, to an understanding of this that we haven't gotten. And that's in the holiness church that grace is not only given for pardon. Thank God for that. Grace is also given for power. For empowering our lives. Purity. Now again, there have been whole churches that you know, built around that and decided that's all we're going to talk about. Live right, live right. Well, I've been around those people. They're not fun to be with. <laughs> right? But it's there. And then finally, number four, or D, presence. Presence. This tends to be the contemplative churches. There are mystical dimensions and mystical movements. One might say the Quakers and others like that, but, but mystical contemplatives. There's no doubt about that. That, that. that one of the great or most important features of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that He is present with us. Tom Oden made this statement. I just thought it's wonderful. He remarked that the Holy Spirit is God's, per- listen now, God's personal meeting with persons living in history. The Holy Spirit is God's personal meeting with persons living in history. Folks, we don't just run into a book called the Bible. We don't just run into a building called the church. We run into the resurrected Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. We meet a person, a real person. This is what makes Christianity so different than any other, if you will, major of the world religions. That we're dealing with a person we're dealing with one who wants to know us and live with us and walk. We used to sing an old song. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. The Holy Spirit's presence. Ralph, a little bit connected. One of the things that's very clear in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit is not an it. The use of personal pronouns with the Spirit always distinguish the Spirit as a person. As a person that we can know, that can live. Let me give you three things the Holy Spirit will do in that personal presence real quick. You've heard these before. But the Holy Spirit as a person comes to comfort. John 14, 16. The Holy Spirit comes to comfort. It's interesting. The word there, comfort or parakletos. Parakletos means someone who's called to your side to help you. Now think about this. The Holy Spirit as His presence is there as He is called to your side. Who called Him? God the Father. You didn't call Him. God called Him. God the Father called the Spirit to be by our side. You you should never worry or wonder about that to say, you know what, does the Spirit want to help me? Does He want to be? Listen, God the Father, Paracletos, called Him to be alongside you, to walk with you, to be with you, to comfort you, to help you. Number two, He not only comes to comfort in His person, but He also comes to guide in truth. We saw that a bit in John 17, 3. When He comes, He will guide us into all truth. Notice that. He will guide you into all the truth. 
Now, don't think of that like an American or a Western European post-Renaissance. Because this is where people get hung up when they say, if all of you guys are following the same spirit, how come y'all don't all believe the same things? How come there's Calvinists and Wesleyans and Arminians and, uh, and uh, you, know, you know, all that? You know, how come you can't get the truth? Here's the reason. Because we think of truth in terms of propositions, ideas, concepts, lists, doctrinal statements. And the New Testament, in my judgment, is very clear that truth is a person. Every one of those Calvinists and Arminians and Wesleyans are down with who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you and me into more truth about who Jesus is. It is not that we're going to agree about everything in our propositions, in our list, in our doctrinal statements, in all of our ideas, but we are all agreed with that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the coming King who will come again. We're all down with that, right? That's what He will do, lead you into that truth. Not whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or, or, a, or a Giantist or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I don't know who those people are. It just came to me. I think they may be a philosophical school. I don't know. Guiding you. Listen, the Spirit of God ought to be leading you and me into more reality of who Jesus is. I'll tell you what the Spirit, at least through some writings, helped me one day. You know, your, your, when I say your problem, you think, well, who do you think you are? But... Uh, your problem and my problem is not that we need strength. You ever notice when you pray for that, you don't get it? You ever notice when you pray for patience, you don't get it? Anybody with me? Come on, let's be honest. That's because you don't need patience and you don't need strength. You need Jesus. That's why when you pray for courage and you don't get it, it's because that's not what you need. You need Jesus. It's why when you pray for understanding and all of that, you don't get it. <laughs> because God has one answer for every need of our life, and God has one person, the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead us into that truth to say, you got one need. This should simplify things for us, guys. <laughs> you got one answer for every need, and His name is... See, God's not going to give you something apart from Him. So he guides us. Last, this is the third one. We may not finish today. <laughs> Ralph, I may not answer your question until next week. Make your way. Just like a soap opera, right? You know? <laughs> Just like 24, I'm about to throw the television through the window the other night on 24 and I'm going, no, you, no, you can't stop there. You, yeah. I'm telling you, that show is killing me. I got stomach problems. This presence, this presence, last one. He comforts us because he's called us out. He guides us. This is great. He prays for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27, for in the same way. Now, go back and read before that because what Paul is referring to is the, is the, is the universe is groaning under the struggle of sin. He said, in the same way, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Could I get an amen on that? Ken Smith and I were talking one time, and I just said, man, I take tremendous comfort in the notion that I don't know how to pray. And I've been to school till a 
books are falling out of my ears. You don't know how to pray as you ought. Listen to this. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, you ought to go look at that because in the early part of the chapter 8, he says this, the, the universe is groaning. The world is groaning. He said, you know what else is groaning in the midst of this broken, fallen, goofed-up world? The Holy Spirit. He is groaning for you today. He is praying for you, says, according to the will of God. There are times when I go to prayer now, I just say, I have no idea. But I'm just going to waste some time right here and let you pray. And if you want me to say anything, I'll say it. But I'm okay with just sitting here and letting you take the ball and go with it. Do you know that about Him? He's praying for you. I, I wonder in my life, maybe in yours, how many things have not happened to me. How many things I've been guarded from. How many situations I've avoided. Not because of how good I was or not how great a prayer I was because the Spirit of God was praying for me. We're going to come back next week and finish this. I want you to hear these words, though. I was going to, we're going to sing again. We might start doing this every once in a while. Real quick. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me. Fill me. Use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. God bless you. See you next week.